Howdy, folks. Welcome to Grown Ups Read Princess Stories, the podcast where grown ups from around the world read stories about princesses, either fairy tales, folk tales, or true stories. I'm your host, RPJ, and welcome to this bonus episode of the podcast. Today, we have an interview kind of chat with the co author of the book, Cinderella in the Glass Ceiling and Other Feminist Fairy Tales, Ellen Hahn. Now, if you have not heard the episode, that is The Little Mermaid Gets a Vagina, go back and listen to that because it is not just funny, but an amazing short story written by Ellen Hahn and her co-author, Laura Lane. In this bonus episode, we're going to be talking to Ellen about the book, how it came to, how what the sort of background of the story was, the research behind it, some of the things that didn't make into the book, So if you would like a little bit more backstory about Ellen Hahn and why we're doing this interview, you should go back and listen to that episode because in this bonus episode, we're talking about that story that was read and the rest of the book, Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling and Other Feminist Fairy Tales. Before we get into the episode, just remember, if you want more information on the book, you can go to feministfairytales.com book.com. There'll be a link in the episode for you. So you can click on that. You can get the book. It'll have all the links to different areas where you can order it online as well. Or you can also go to audible.com and get the book on Audible. Listen to the entire thing read by the authors, Ellen and Laura themselves. You can also go to Instagram and follow the book Feminist Fairy Tales book for more information as well. So without further ado, please enjoy this enlightening, awesome chat with Ellen Hahn about the book, about the history of the book, and what might be coming soon. Yeah. I mean, this is this started off with a, a play, right? This was like how so how did that how did that come to? Like how do you start from or like I guess let's start with the play. Like how did you get to the idea of writing this play? Like what was that like? Yeah. So Laura and I, Laura Lane, who I wrote the book with, um, she and I were actually in a sketch writing class together in New York. Um at the UCB theater, which is the Upright Citizens Brigade theater. It's a comedy theater. Um, And she had brought in, in, we were in a class together. She had brought in, I think an early version of the Cinder, like a Cinderella sketch where her shoe breaks because it's made of glass. And I was like, oh, this is really funny. And then she also brought in an idea for a Sleeping Beauty sketch about like, you shouldn't kiss this person, she's sleeping. And I was like, that's also really funny. So then I approached her and I was like, I think this is a really funny idea. I think we should, we could make this a show. And uh, do you want, I would love to write some of these sketches with you. And she was like, yeah, that would be great. That would be really fun. So from there, we wrote out five sketches um, and put the show up at the theater. And then it was good enough that the theater gave it a run. And we ran the show there for like a year, a year. And then we, we toured it to a couple, the, the UCB theater also has a theater in Los Angeles. So we did it there. And then we also did it at Chicago sketch fest. Um, I think, so a sketch show was like, um, it's like Saturday night live. Um, right. So each sketch was really only maybe four or five minutes and the show was like a half an hour. Um, but I also think it's really, it's a lot easier to write a sketch because it's such a, like a nugget of an idea. You, you just, you hone in on what you think is the funniest or the most messed up thing about the story. And then you write around that. So I think because, because we chose to do it as a sketch show, it was pretty quick for us to write and to like put together. Um, 
because we basically just focused the the five stories in the show were let's let me see if I can do this right it was um Peter Pan the little mermaid sleeping beauty snow white we did Rapunzel in the Chicago show we did Tiana from Princess and the Frog and then um the last one we did was like a Jasmine sketch so actually that was seven so it was like six actually um seven or six depending on the show but we we just really had a really fun time we basically like picked the we picked the stories that we wanted to do and then we kind of honed in on what we thought was the funniest most messed up part of each story and that's how we put the show together so did you do research like did you do the sort of fairy tale research for that show or was that more of the based off the memory you know where because sketch comedy sometimes is like that you 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 just go like let's go like you said like let's go crazy let's kind of pull all those jokes and do that so is it more that you're just kind of improvising in the moment playing like how did those rehearsals go was it more structured writing or is there a lot more playing to find that um it's a little bit of both so we definitely wrote the whole script for the whole show and by the time we started running the show like we were we were basically word perfect we weren't improvising mm-hmm. during the show at all but during rehearsals it was a lot of um pitching jokes seeing what worked seeing what didn't work um rewriting rewriting and like relayering sketches um so there was like some impro- there was like some improvisation there and we also had a woman who was directing the show which is always super super helpful because so Laura and I wrote the show together another actress named Amber Williams was the third actress in the show Laura and I were also in the show and then we had another woman who was our director so really honestly we got input from everybody as we did rewrites um but Laura and I did the first draft um and we also changed a lot after we changed the script a lot after i would say maybe our first two shows with an audience there were you know there's some jokes that hit there's some jokes that don't hit you take stuff out you add stuff in um but but once we started once we opened the show then we then we didn't change the script at all yeah and but yeah so the the sketch show we were really trying to play to like the audience's collective memory of Disney movies and cuz I'm also I'm I guess I'm a child of the 90s but I was born in the 80s. So people that are like people that are our age grew up with I mean that was the golden age of Disney, right? That's Beauty and the yes. Beast, that's The Little Mermaid, like Aladdin, Pocahontas, like all, like one right after another. We grew up with these movies and we all love them. And they have so many messed up parts of them. <laughs> so what we did during the sketch show was we would have it, we would do a sketch and then we would play to cover our like costume and changes in between. We would play a clip from one of the movies. Um, and it, we would just say like, do you remember this? And then we would show a clip and like, so there's a clip in Peter Pan where, I mean, there's so many awful parts about Peter Pan, the movie. Uh, <laughs> there <laughs> really the, is. There are a lot. But the one that we used was Wendy. Wendy's like talking about something. I think she's sewing Peter's shadow back on. And Peter just goes, girls talk too much. <laughs> and it was really fun because we we kind of thought of that idea later in the rehearsal process. We just needed to come up with something to cover the time in between as we were changing costumes in between sketches. And it really added a layer to the show because you could feel the whole audience. The audience was laughing at the sketches and then they were remembering these things that they had seen as kids 
and just thinking, oh my gosh, that was terrible. I can't believe that I, as a five or a six-year-old, watched that and absorbed that. The other one that always got a big reaction was in Peter Pan. Oh, this is also Peter Pan. I don't, Tinkerbell flies over a mirror and she like looks down and she's like admiring herself. And then she like notices, she notices that her hips are big and she like takes her hands and she looks at them and she looks horrified. It's like, that girl's a fairy. (laughs) She doesn't have a big hip. Like it's the size of a thumb. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, So your original, your original question was that, so it was once we were adapting the, um, it was once we were going from the sketch show to the book that we did a lot of the like super historical research about what the original right. versions of these fairy tales were, what cultures they came from. Like, were they the Brothers Grimm? Were they Charles Perrault? Like, what are the differences between the Italian version and the French version and the German version? Um, Hans Christian Andersen is like a totally different ballpark. All of his stories are super, super Christian because he's like Victorian era. Um, but yeah, so the, the sketch show was really playing at Disney and then the book the book was also playing at Disney but we tried to we also tried to root it in a more historical context right yeah so how did that transition happen then like how do you go from a sketch show to writing a book (laughs) yeah so we it was Laura's idea originally she was like I think this would be a really good book And I think we could, I think it would translate really well. And I thought, I was like, I had never written a book before. And I thought like, oh yeah, you're actually right. Most of my background is in theater and in, um, in performance. So I've written a lot of plays and like uh, pilots and, you know, television writing, that kind of stuff. But I didn't have as much like narrative writing experience. But so basically the the short version of the story is that we Put, we wrote we wrote a book, book proposal together. We wrote drafts of six of the stories. There are 12 stories in the book and we wrote drafts of like six of them. We got we were able to get in touch with an agent who really likes the project and she helped us book proposal. We ended up only using two of the stories in the book proposal, which is different than like if you have written a novel and you're trying to sell it, you usually write the whole novel and then send the novel around. But mm-hmm. for like shorter form for essays, memoirs, you don't generally, you generally don't write the whole book. So we had about half of, we had a draft of about half of it written when we were trying to sell it. So you only, so you used only the two from that original. Yeah, we picked the strongest two. Uh, our, our agent gave us the advice that she was like, these two are my favorite. And I think we should only send out two because I think sometimes when people are looking to buy something, if they like love five of the stories and then maybe don't like the last one, they'll use that as the excuse to be like, oh, I don't think so. I'm not gonna get, it. yeah. It, so that, that was just like a piece right. of uh, businessy business advice. And she That's just- That's really good advice. It, it, it was great advice. And it was something I was like, oh yeah, kind of leave them wanting more. Like, <laughs> So were there any stories then from the transition to the play to the book, how, like what, like what were the biggest changes uh, story-wise to those? Right. From like, um, you know, the, like the things that you can do in sketch comedy that you can't do per se in a book or things that you can do in a book that just wouldn't work in a sketch. Well, the first thing was that we had a lot of, oh, oh actually this is, um, so the Cinderella sketch in the show Cinderella is wearing, it's all about her wearing glass slippers and then the glass slippers breaking. 
And so the gag in the show is that she's in a physical pain as the prince and the fairy godmother are basically just like making fun of her for not having real shoes. And so that obviously, you can't really write that because it's a physical gag, like it's a physical joke. Um, So we kept the same, so we kept the same concept for the Cinderella chapter, just thinking, hey, it's pretty messed up that the lesson of this story is if you're in a bad life situation, just go to a ball with a cute outfit and find a <laughs> prince and everything will work out. <laughs> um, and, and we tried to kind of lean into like the socioeconomic aspect of that. Um, so the other thing is that generally in a sketch, you're writing, I said like you're writing for the one thing that's funny the, and you're kind of repeating it. You're like hitting, hitting the nail on the head over and over again, so to speak. And with a book, with an essay, you can kind of expand and you can navigate, you can explore some different aspects to the stories um, that you really kind of don't have time to when you're performing them. Um, I think the other, the uh, this is just like a very technical thing that we found when you're performing on stage, the rule is, it's uh, the rule of threes, right? It's joke, joke, and then it's a really big laugh. Yeah. Um, and when we were writing the book, we tended to write more towards like, like the way a standup would, would, would tell a joke, which is just a setup and a punchline. Um, so we ended up cutting a lot. We kind of cut a lot of the jokes from the show or we restructured them. So you've got a setup and a punchline and then a setup and a punchline. Whereas before it maybe was like punchline, punchline, big punchline. Yeah. That, was there anything that you wish that you would, you would, that you had in the sketch show that just didn't somehow make it to the book for what, you know how there's always that one or two things that you go like, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to fight for this joke. I'm going to fight for this bit. I love this bit. I love writing this bit. It just doesn't land. And <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I got to give up that baby. And then you've got somebody going, it's just not good. It's not good. We got to cut work. it. I know you love it. I know you love this whole arc. I know you love this whole bit. It doesn't benefit the story. It doesn't do anything to the story. You've got to let it go. Well, so that's kind of the fun part about writing a book with somebody else where Laura and I both had on, on like just a smaller level, Laura and I both would have jokes or punchlines that we really loved. And the other person would be like, that's not funny. <laughs> or like that it doesn't work here. Like we can't do this. And when you're writing with somebody else, you just, you're like, okay, yeah, that person's right. Like, it's kind of nice to, to just bounce ideas off of each other, especially with comedy. So the, the thing I'm going to, the thing from the show that we lost in the book, and it's going to become very obvious why, uh, why we, lo- why we lose it in the book that I loved. And I thought was a really, that was like, honestly, a really fun way to end the show was we did a Jasmine sketch and um, we, so we started it with um, Laura was playing Jasmine and it, it, the, this um, Laura's, Laura's a white lady. The sketch is very self-referential. It's the end of the show. She starts doing this Jasmine sketch. And then Amber and I, the other two women in the show come out and we're like, Laura, you can't play Jasmine you're a white girl. And so then the whole sketch of the show was like, no, 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 this is like representation and like white feminism is not good. (laughs) Um, So it was a, it's a really funny, it was such a fun way to end the show because it was really meta. It was very, the jokes were like very hard and a little bit mean in, um, 
in a in a really in a fun way in a really like in a way that ended the show everybody thought on like a nice like kind of cutting level and then also that sketch ended with us doing a like disney style song and dance number <laughs> so because right. if it's a disney show you kind of just have to end it in that way um yeah so it was really so that obviously we just couldn't translate and then also i said this earlier but we so Jasmine, the character of Jasmine was created by Disney. That character doesn't exist in the Aladdin tale in the Thousand and One Nights. Um, it's a different princess character and the role is much smaller. So we just, we couldn't put that in the book because um, it that would have been, we were trying to, uh, we were trying to stay in the public domain with the stories that we criticized in the book mm. um, or critiqued or satirized or parodied. Talk to me about what it's like writing comedy with somebody else do you first off do you like writing by yourself comedy or comedy with a person um what do you prefer the, uh, the answer to that is both it, they're just different yeah what I like about writing comedy by myself with is it's just a real reflection of who you are and what your exact sense of humor is and what you exactly yeah. find funny. And when you're writing it with somebody else, it's, it's really a reflection of what you two find funny. It's not even what I find funny and what Laura finds funny. It's like what we collectively together find funny. The really nice thing about writing comedy with somebody else is that it's generally a good time. Like you're laughing at a joke, you're pitching jokes to each other. Um, if, if you're like, oh, I had this idea for a setup, what's the punchline? Then you can like banter back and forth. So it's just a different, it's just a different process. I think, especially when you're writing comedy with another person, it's always shocking how little of the time you're actually writing. <laughs> it's a lot of yes. talking it out and kind of mapping out the story, seeing where the story's gonna go collaborating on jokes and then kind of at the end you put it all together. I, I also really, it, it's also really nice to work with another person because I, I do feel like you're, at least I maybe, well, I don't know. It, it's productive in a different way. Like you're like, we have these four hours to work together. We were, we're going to be very focused and we're going to work for these four hours. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. we also, Laura had just had a baby when we were writing the book together. So that's really what our schedule was. It was like, okay, I've got these four hours. We're going to do this. Like, um, we, we wrote together pretty quickly, but I think, I think giving yourself the structure, that structure is really, really helpful. At least it was for us. Um, and the other thing, great thing about writing with somebody else is that you have kind of a built-in editor also as you're mm -hmm. working, as you're working together. I personally, when I'm writing alone, I put a lot on the page and then I end up going back and editing and deleting it. But when Laura and I worked together, I would say we, we kind of edited a little bit more as we went. Just because you've got two eyes on it and you can kind of immediately say like, yeah. oh, that doesn't work. I guess four eyes, <laughs> two sets of eyes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what research did you do when you actually went to sit down and write the book? When we were when we were putting the book together, we literally wrote down the like a list of the fairy tales we wanted to cover, we wanted to write. And then we also put, wrote down a list of issues or topics we wanted to address. And mm -hmm. then we kind of, we had drafts of about six of the stories 
point and 12 ended up in the book. And then we kind of basically just connected the dots to see like, like for example, Peter Pan, an issue that was on our list was like female friendship, female empowerment, what, like the relationships between women. And we were like, Peter Pan is honestly a perfect fit for that because most of that movie is, uh, not most of that movie, but a big part of that movie is Tinkerbell and Wendy and um, Tinkerbell and Wendy like fighting against each other. So we did a lot of, so we kind it was it was like that game when you're a kid where you like draw lines and you connect. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this goes with this, this goes with this. So then we basically, so once we kind of, and they didn't all fit exactly, like perfectly. And some issues kind of became two and then ended up in diff like different parts of different stories, but that's where we started. And then we did, so then we did basically kind of two steps of research where we, we researched the original stories, we researched the original fairy tales. And then we also researched, we also tried to do a lot of academic research on like the social issues that we were, um, that we were addressing because you're right. We kind of had a sense. We both together had a sense of what we wanted to say or what we thought was important, but we also like Laura and I, I, I like we're both white ladies with like fairly similar backgrounds. So we wanted to do a lot of research because it was really important to us that the book has an intersectional like feminist perspective. And so we were just doing a lot of research to address our blind spots and the stuff that like maybe we hadn't thought about that we should, th should think about. I guess, so the Snow White chapter, the Snow White chapter is called Snow White and the Seven Microaggressions. So we did a lot of academic research into like what microaggressions are, who are the academics that kind of came up with this, um, with this, with the idea, with the word and like, how are they used today? And like, what are, um, so it was really, I feel like we honestly both like learned a lot in researching the book, especially with something like that, where it's like, yeah, I know what that is, but what's the academic history here? Like, um, I, I think the, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And as far as researching the, the original fairy tales go, I love, I read a lot of these original versions and you can find a lot of them on the internet, honestly, because they're all in the public domain. But Philip Pullman, who wrote the His Dark Materials series, he's a children's book author. And he also, he's written a translation of a bunch of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. And they're all really good and really fun. And he's, he really embraced the, like, the the kind of the dark tragic violence of a lot of those stories and he at the end of each fairy tale he has written a little note about um the different versions um I learned so I learned a lot from reading those translations because he's got a lot of like I honestly used his bibliography a lot they that pointed us in the right direction he has he does a really fun job of tracking who is a stepmother and who is a mother in each of these stories um mm. because stepmothers are you know uh, viewed as so evil in most of these. That's that's something from the Dis from the Brothers Grimm stories that Disney kind of took. <laughs> so I learned from Philip Pullman's book that the original version of Hansel and Gretel is the mother and the father that send Hansel and Gretel into the woods, and then in the rewrite, it was the stepmother and the father. I think because people thought it was too sad that the mother would send Hansel and Gretel into the woods without food. <laughs> That was also, Hansel and Gretel is an example of a story that we tried to include in the book. We tried to be, we tried to figure out some funny way to retell it. And we just couldn't. We were like, this is too sad. 
it's a hard one. And uh, well, and so cannibalism, actually, you know, yeah, <laughs> cannibalism of children. <laughs> yeah, um, like, let's the, let's have a laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, and so that was the other thing where when when we wrote these stories, we definitely overwrote each chapter, kind of with all with all of the research that we'd done. We uh, so uh, the way that we do Little Red Riding Hood the wolf is basically cat calling her the whole time. And so we did all of this like kind of research into, I don't know what's actually, what is it, what is actually recommended? What is recommended behavior when you are getting cat calls and like how do different cultures respond to this? And so we really like, we wrote that all into the Little Mermaid, not in the Little Mermaid, uh, Little Red Riding Hood. We wrote that all into that chapter. And then we just ended up taking almost all of it out because it, it got kind of infused into the chapter anyway. And so we took out, we took out everything that was didactic, but you, but we found that for our process, we really had to do all the research and include all of that information in the story. And then we ended up taking most of it out to make it funny and, and kind of by that process, the points that we were trying to make were in the story kind of by osmosis or they were in, they were in there in a, in a narrative, like, funny, um, informative way, but not in an academic or like didactic way. I love the Sleeping Beauty story in your book so much. I just, it made me, I laughed so hard I cried <laughs> about the, is it the, is it the caretaker? Is it the janitor? Is the, the, old, the little like, urchin the boy. Yeah, the little urchin boy. The little like, urchin he's boy. He's the one just going, what are you doing? You can't do that. <laughs> right. That's not okay. And this guy trying to backpedal, going, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm doing this. Uh, uh, and it's like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I remember. I remember. Laura brought in the first page of that sketch and was like, I think this is funny, but I don't know where to go with it. And it ended with, yeah, it was the prince trying to kiss Sleeping Beauty, and then this little urchin boy coming in and being like, you can't kiss her. She's sleeping. And I was like that is so funny. And I have never thought of that before. Like, because that was Sleeping Beauty was also my favorite as a kid. And I had this little Sleeping Beauty, I think it was a, a Barbie doll or a, a doll. And she had uh, one side of her dress was pink. And then you could turn it around and it was blue, like at the movie, yeah. at the end of the movie, when they're changing the dresses. Um, and I was, I, that just killed me. And that sketch we really wanted the character that calls the prince out to be a boy because we like we wanted to have a male character in the book that got it and was the one that was holding the prince accountable for trying to kiss this woman while she was asleep and also the urchin boy character was a character from the sketch show that was just so fun like i i got to play the urchin boy and He's just a weird little guy that is, he's like, hey, you can't do that. She's sleeping. Like, <laughs> that, and that character is so funny and so silly, like a terrible British accent. Like, right. he's, he's great. And so he, he was a character from the show that we really wanted to put in the book um, to make the point that, like, there are men out there that get, the, get it too and that can do the work of standing up to another dude that doesn't get it. To make that to make that point, but also he was really funny and we really liked him, so we wanted him to be in there. I also there. I'm not even sure if it's intentional or not, but it the way it just sort of reads as well is because he's not a grown person, a grown boy. 
is that it's this idea of youth getting it, understanding what is right and wrong, which is very clearly happening right now in the world. Like we're seeing this huge amount of movement happening in the world where you see youth getting the right pronouns and, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding each other's boundaries and just getting it. And there's this Mm -hmm. generation of older folks that are not getting it and saying, well, uh, there's a minority, you know, are saying this is weird and not okay. And so, you know, this is like, no, 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 no. You're, you're the small group now, you know, you just don't get it. Yeah. You know, it's these people that are in their forties and over that are, I mean, even my demographic in their thirties, you see it, you see people going like, well, can we just go back to the, you know, the olden days, or I just don't understand why this is a problem. And then some young person, like some young student on the street being like, don't do that. And being very clear with their their words, not going, hey, excuse me. It's just going, don't do that thing. It's not okay. I do not appreciate it. And then go, oh, uh, you don't don't understand because you're youth. So let me tell you. And it's like, no, no, I do understand. Yeah. But I mean, I felt like that with so many of the stories. There's just so many, like every single one of them had a moment where I'm like, oh, this is, this is perfect. Like I love, I love the pronouns in the Snow White. I love yeah. <laughs> this mirrors, you know, getting it, you know, talking about someone's body in Little Mermaid. It's, it was so unique. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's the first story that you read, the first one you come out is kind of the most vulgar out of all of them. Which will be, which is, I love that you read it on the podcast. It's so great. It's so funny. <laughs> um, no. But it's incredibly insightful. And it's yeah. true. You know, it's, you shouldn't be body shaming. And you should be open about, you know, your sexuality and who you are and, and those sort of things. And it's like, why can't you talk about it? I always, that's a story yeah. that I always, yeah, it is the first chapter in the book. And I always think like, our book isn't that racy. And then I read the first chapter and I'm like, oh, we curse a lot in this story. <laughs> and it's funny because we don't, we don't really as much in the rest of the book, but I think we wanted that. We wanted the little mermaid. We like that. That was one of our favorite sketches in the show. We loved that story. And we really wanted to put it first to lead off with such a strong, we just wanted to lead off with that story because it's so strong. The game is like, the joke is very clear. If you haven't read it, the joke is that the little mermaid goes to the sea witch to ask for legs. And the sea witch is like, yeah, I'll give you legs. But along with legs, you also get a vagina. So then Ursula, Ursula in quotes, has to give Ariel a sex talk over the rest of the story. And it's just so fun because Honestly, Disney princess stories are a little bit like the Bachelor franchise where there's a lot of sex and nobody's <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> and so I, we both really enjoyed having the opportunity to just talk about sex in one of these stories because all of these princesses are like teenage girls. Like it's something that if they were real people, they would be talking about and thinking about. It's fun. It's a super fun story. We, we, we love that one. Was there any story that you just were like, I'm not going, like that you both just went, that's one we're not going near? Hansel and Gretel. Um, so we, so Beauty and the Beast a little bit, which we do, we, do uh, we, we kind of tackle in the book, but we were writing, I think we were doing the sketch show right when the remake with Emma, the live action remake had come out. And there were a lot of jokes at the time about like, why is Beauty falling in love with the Beast? He's, this is Stockholm Syndrome. He's kidnapped her. 
et cetera, et cetera. He's abusive, which is like, and, and all of those, all of these things are true. We struggled with figuring out an angle on that story that wasn't that because everybody else had kind of already made that point, had already made that joke. So it obviously Beauty and the Beast is so popular. We really wanted to include it in the book, but it took us a long time to figure out what the angle was going to be on it. And yeah, so the, if you haven't read the book yet, we, we basically, we kind of start with Beauty and the Beast and then very quickly we transition into like, hey, why do you think that beauty, you've heard of beauty because she was like a kidnapped lady. It's because she was white. There are a bunch of crimes against women, black women that uh, don't get reported or aren't covered in the news media. And so that's the angle that we take on that story. And it turned out to be one of my favorite stories in the book too, just because it's a different take. It's a unique take. And that one maybe strays a little bit further from the original fairy tale than any of the others. But we did that on purpose because we didn't, everybody else was making the same jokes about Beauty and the Beast. So we, we were just trying really hard to find a different angle. We still need to, you know, make sure that those wrongs are righted. Um, just because it's a person of color doesn't mean it's not valid. Right. And we also, I think the reason that we were really attracted to taking that angle on Beauty and the Beast is that Laura has a, Laura used to work in like entertainment magazines as an editor. And I, I mean, I just like, I am always embarrassed to say this, but I do like true crime. So it was like, it was kind of the confluence of those <laughs> two like interests or um, we both had like a little bit of background that we could bring to telling that version of the story. Um, I guess I want to shout out our, so our illustrator is a woman named Nicole Miles, who we just found on the internet. And she's, was like, she was awesome and did such a fun job, did such a great job. And each, each story has like one illustration. So it's basically one scene from the book and they're really cool. They're, they're really unique. They're really different. They're like very visually beautiful. She's awesome. You can follow her on Instagram. Our, the last story, the one, one we haven't talked about yet that I love is the Goldilocks story because that story is, Goldilocks yes. is like a little monster. She breaks into this, this family's home and then like breaks all their stuff. <laughs> and that one we kept saying like, well, I don't know, how do we make her better? Or like, does she realize that what she's done is wrong? And after a few days, we just figured out that like, no, she should just be a terrible person. We should just really stick to what the original version of the story is and have fun with that. And that's what we did. And that's such a fun way to end. That's such a fun way to end the book because it really is really close to the original version of that story. The original version of that story, spoiler alert, Goldilocks falls out the window and breaks her neck. And we just kept that. <laughs> We're like, yeah, actions have consequences, Goldilocks. <laughs> Where do you think your book is placed in a bookstore? Like what well, category? Do you what category, what category do you think I got that book in? I've seen it. I've been, you know, I've been to like a bookstore, I don't know, three times this year when I've been allowed to. And <laughs> um, I, I've seen it in the humor section, which I think is where it belongs. I don't, it, every once in a while, somebody will send me a picture of it in a children's section. And it's really not a children's book. I definitely say teenage and up, um, as we, I mentioned earlier, there, there's adult jokes in it. Um, Although it definitely teenagers can handle it. It's just, I don't know, I wouldn't read it to a six-year-old or something. Um, I, I feel comfortable in the humor section. I got mine in feminism. <laughs> that, that's good too. <laughs> yeah, it was right in the middle. That's great. Just that's facing outward. Yeah. 
Oh, that makes me yeah. so happy. That's, oh, I'm so, I mean, obviously because this year has been so weird, like I haven't really been able to see it in that many bookstores. Um, so I just like hearing stories of people finding it in a bookstore. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Are there any plans on doing more? Or we, is this like a one-off or? We're, um, maybe we haven't gotten there yet. We are working to adapt it into t for television. We think that would be pretty fun. Um, and also fairly easy because each story could be an episode. Right. Um, as an animated show. That obviously will, is like say. a many years long project. So, you know, right. I don't know, look, look out for that in 2024. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we would maybe like to do more. We haven't gotten around to really actively talking about that yet. But there are so many fairy well, tales. There's so many other extra ones we can do, so. Yeah, and I mean, no one's gonna judge you for taking a year off. Yeah. <laughs> while everyone else was doing nothing. Right, right. So, yeah. I'd like to thank Ellen Hahn for coming onto the podcast and talking about the book amongst other things as well. Also for reading the story, The Little Mermaid Gets a Vagina, which you can listen to in the episode before this one. Don't forget to follow them on Instagram as well. Find out more information about the book at feministfairytalesbook.com. Again, like I said before many, many times, click the link in the episode bio. Get that book. Listen to that book. You'll feel so much better that you did. Don't forget that you can also find grown-ups read princess stories on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. If you would like to leave us a review, please do so as well. The more nice words that are said about the show, the more ears it gets to. Until the next episode, please, everyone, be kind to each other and stay safe.